The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, David Grubb, and joining me today is the host of The Real Deal with Damian Adams, the one and only Damian Adams, who also covers the Phoenix Suns, among other uh, things that he does in the world of sports. Damian, it's the first time to have you on, but we've known each other for a while, so glad to have you finally uh, on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm a big fan of yours, big fan of your writing, always checking out your Pelicans content, so Definitely love the fact that I got this invite to be on the show. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we, we're both on that same grind out here trying to to make it in the sports world. And um, I appreciate your hustle as well. But let's get into it. Um, you you watch the Pelicans almost as much as you, you pay attention to the Suns. Obviously, that's <laughs> yeah. your, day, your day-to-day gig. But uh, January has not been a kind month to the New Orleans Pelicans, particularly recently. Uh, they are 7-7 this month. Um, but they are currently on a three-game losing streak after blowing that 17-point lead on the road at Boston on Monday night. They finish up their road trip uh, tomorrow on the road. Uh, well, not finish up, excuse me. They have two more games on this road trip in Texas where they go to Houston, um, which is not an easy place to play, and then wrapping it up with a team that they're expected to beat in San Antonio, one of the worst teams in the league. But right now the Pelicans don't seem to have an identity on either end of the floor. The defensive part that they hung their hats on, um, teams are putting up points. They gave up 141 just a couple of games ago, The season, their season worst uh, to this point. And offensively, though they've still been able to score points, it seems that everything is kind of broken. There's no real hierarchy on the offense anymore. There's no real continuity or flow to it. And in particular, um, the stars have not played like stars this month. Uh, what do you see from your vantage point as what's just gone wrong with the New Orleans Pelicans in January? Well, on the defensive end, I think it's about finding the right rotation of making sure that our defensive players are on the court to where we can have enough time with them on the court to get stops. Honestly, like when you have Herb Jones, who's an all-league defender, he has to have help out there, right? And I started lining up He's the only solidified defender out there alongside CJ, Zion, BI, and JV. And, you know, JV tries hard, but he just doesn't have the foot movement, the lateral speed to do what, you know, a Larry Nash Jr. could do when he comes off the bench. And I also feel like it's just uh, a lack of being creative with our lineups. So, like, for example, we played against OKC the other night. I thought that's a game where you can be creative and maybe start Larry Nash Jr. because you know you're going against a team who has a stretch five in Chad Holmgren. JV, he's going to try hard, but it's going to be impossible for him to be able to guard down low and also make the transition out to try to guard three-point line where Chet is without Chet dropping by him. And that was one of the big issues we had in that game trying to stop them is because of the way they were able to spread us out. So I think it's about being creative with the lineups, getting our defenders along with having offensive players out there and also trusting our 
defenders who are showing more offensively to stay out there. Like Herb Jones has been more aggressive this year, shooting the ball better. So you can have him out there in different lineups where you have other defenders like our Dyson Daniels or like Larry Nash Jr. as well, because those lineups can still work even though they don't have our traditional offensive scores. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, it's about having respected shooters out there. So for example, you may have somebody who's shooting well this year, but they may not have the respect of the defense. So like Herb Jones, for example, is shooting the ball great this year, 39% from three. And he's shooting better than Trey Murphy, but Trey Murphy still has more respect from defenses. So he creates more space. So like, for example, we played against the Phoenix Suns. Of course, you know, I watched that game. Devin Booker went crazy on us. But offensively, we had no space because Phoenix was like, okay, we're just going to crowd the middle. We'll make it super hard for Zion and JB to do their thing. And we're going to let the people who have been shooting well, we're going to see if they can continue to do that. And they didn't respect the guys that we have out there to shoot the ball well because they still don't respect the Herb Jones and the JB to make those outside shots, Larry Nash Jr. And it seems like when teams challenge us in that way and say, oh, he's self-checked or, oh, we don't, we don't even worry about him out there. When they challenge us in that way, it seems like our confidence kind of get a little shaken a little bit where we don't shoot the ball well in those moments. So offensively, it's a lack of spacing because we don't have to respect the shooters out there all the time. And defensively, it's about getting the right lineups out there to get stops. All of the other things I see offensively, um, and I think it's been a consistent problem for this team, is going back and forth between the principles that James Borrego wants to install and then having to fit with the style of play of certain guys in the lineup. I think the style that James Borrego plays, and, and some people like to call it kumbaya basketball where everybody gets a shot. I don't believe that's the intent of the offense. When James Borrego was with Charlotte, there was a clear hierarchy to that offense. You knew that LaMelo, especially that last year when he had LaMelo ball, you knew where the ball was going to go consistently. I, don't, I think that there is supposed to be a hierarchy there, but it, it, it requires movement. It requires guys getting to those spots, particularly the corner. It, this offense was supposed to generate more corner threes. And we've seen times when the Pelicans have stuck to that commitment, when you've seen guys get in those shots. But I think guys like Trey Murphy, and I remember talking to Trey before he came back from injury uh, the first time. And Trey was talking about how, how excited he was because he was looking at the offense and seeing where these spots were going to be when he got back. And he thought, you know, there's going to be plenty of these shifts created for me. And I think we've seen the Pelicans not be able to stick with the, the principles of that, that Borrego once at different times. And we've seen the Pelicans revert. CJ McCollum has talked about it, revert to some stagnancy where the ball dies. The movement isn't there. It's being dribbled into the ground and you're not seeing screens, you're not seeing off-ball cuts, and you're seeing a team that just stays in front of the defense, even against some very poor defensive teams, you're making the job easier. You take the Suns, for example. The Suns are not a great, great defensive team. On a night-to-night -night basis, they're there to outscore you. And you can't, the Pelicans were not able to take advantage of mismatches, excuse me, mismatches, like a Grayson Allen, like somebody like that, or on the interior, where the Suns don't have a particularly a lot, a, lot, a lot of size there. The Pelicans have a problem exploiting mismatches on a night-to-night -night basis as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's times where, like the OKC game, I feel like we should have been feeding JV the whole game because they have no size, right? It should have just been a JV game where we go through him. And it's also on JV as well to demand the ball. And once he gets the ball, to make his action quick and to make it decisive. I feel like at times he'll get the ball, he'll hold it, 
he'll look around, hey, get a dribble, make the defense react to you, and that creates the openings for everybody else. So I definitely agree with you on they have to know when to take advantage of the mismatches and also when to run the offense. And we've seen times when it looked perfect. That game against Utah, where we scored all those points. It looked perfect in that game. You just have to find a consistency. Now, of course, you're not going to shoot that same way every night. That was a special night from the field. But you have to find a consistency where you get those open buckets and you're getting the Trey Murphys, the Herb Joneses, and those guys open threes off of the mismatch that you create with JV, with Zion, with BI. I think this team is at its best when it's playing really fast, uh, particularly Zion Williamson. It has always been my contention that Zion responds to the energy you give him. Like, if he's surrounded by guys who have a lot of energy, particularly on the defensive end, uh, that gets the Pelicans out in the break, and, and that's when he gets to handle the ball in transition situations, and he gets to receive it in transition situations where he gets to the bucket a lot quicker. He doesn't have to break defenses down, and he doesn't have to worry about size. We know that in the half court, his shot can get blocked. He's he, he is among the league leaders every year since he's been in the NBA of getting his shot blocked. In the half court, he's not ever going to be a traditional post-up four. So that tempo is so important to the Pelicans. The problem has always been, I think, the match with the players around him. A lot of folks will talk about Willie Green's rotations. How much do you put on coaching staff and their rotations and what they surround Zion and to different degrees, B.I. and C.J. Um, at different times in, in mixing and matching those players. Has Willie Green come far enough in three seasons uh, to get to the point where you feel comfortable with his rotations? I definitely, I can't really criticize him because he hasn't had the team together for a sustained period of time until this year, right? And now he's finally getting a sustained period of time to see what works. And I think that one thing that definitely should be used is, I'll take it back to the example, when the Houston Rockets had Chris Paul and James Harden, they did a great job of making sure that those guys, either one or the other was on the court and they surrounded them with players that complemented what they do. Um, so I definitely think there's time to find that. And we do have the players to where they can do that, where they have Zion and B.I., on the floor at all times. I don't like when both of those guys are sitting, right? CJ, of course, is a capable offensive player who can definitely lead the unit from time to time. But if you have Brandon Ingram and Zion as your two guys, those one of those two guys should always be on the floor and you can find lineups that go around them and support what they do. So I think that's one thing he has to figure out, but I can't really criticize them because they've had such little time together. The part that I think it's, that is not Willie's fault is again, now, I do have some criticisms of things that he does, but I think that's every coach you're going to have those 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 kind of things. Yeah. My, my ultimate problem is the construction of the roster. People talk about how deep this team is, but it is flawed in, in two significant ways. I think, number one, the Pelicans don't have enough length. I mean, just it, it's not just the physical size, but they don't have enough height on a night-to-night -night basis in the NBA. You look around. Everybody's got multiple 6'10", 6'11", guys who are athletic and who can, uh, you know, do things. Pelicans don't have that. JV at the, as, and uh, Cody Zeller are their two tallest players, and you wouldn't consider either of them an athlete in that regard. Uh, and, and covering space, blocking shots, running in transition, neither one of them excels as that. Larry at 6'7", is your most athletic big, but that's a severe disadvantage against, even again, one-on-one -on -one with Chet Holmgren, who's 7'2", 
Yeah. It's a big problem for a six, seven guy, even on a closeout check can still get that shot off, you know, against a Larry Nance. So I think that's been a big problem that has not been addressed for going on five years now, having a legitimate athletic backup big, you tried it with Jackson Hayes. I think they should have, we could, that's a story for another time, but Jackson Hayes certainly did not pan out and has not panned out. Lakers are finding that out too. And then the other part has been, you've never had a dependable point guard, a legitimate actual point guard on this roster who can facilitate, especially in these times when the offense bogs down, who says you need to be in this spot. You need to be in this spot who can command the respect of these other guys. CJ is a combo guard. Yeah. Zion and BI for all their ability as the ball handlers are scorers. That's what you need from them primarily. Their assists come off of their scoring. Having a point guard, particularly when things break down, I think a veteran on this on this team that could give you 15 to 18 minutes a night is a, would be a, a huge advantage for this team. And I'm sorry, Jose Alvarado is not that. He's not a traditional point guard. You never had that with Kyra. You never had that with any of the guys um, behind them on the bench. You don't have someone who can just handle the rock, penetrate, and create for other people. Yeah, no, that's definitely two very good points. As far as getting that backup point guard, is there someone like a, a TJ McConnell? Is that the type of guy that could help out? It's, it's a limited thing now when it comes to those type of traditional point guards out there, right? Just, you know, not that many Tyrese Halliburton's out there running around. So when it comes to those guys that could facilitate the ball, now I feel like that's a, it's a limited quantity when it comes it to the NBA of those traditional type point guards. So it's something that not only is it something that the Pelicans don't have, so it's something that a lot of teams don't have these days when it comes to that type of point guard. Um, as far as the size I thought I definitely when we drafted Jackson Hayes, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I was somebody who was a proponent of drafting him. I thought this was going to be a good move. Obviously, I was wrong about that. He didn't work out. And he had his moments. I was at the playoff game, uh, game two a few years ago when they played against the Suns. And he had the crazy, like, uh, this is a moment where he like Giannis for a moment where he, he came and got the block off the backboard and then came down, back down the court and scored. And it was like, oh, okay, this is the Jackson Hayes we need. But, you know, obviously that was just a flash. So you definitely you know, hit on a good point there when it comes to the athletic big and also the point guard. And it seems like those two things are just very limited when it comes to the quantity in the NBA. So where do you find them is the big question. That's true. And and as we get closer to the trade deadline, um, the Pelicans have been rumored to be chasing after guys like Jared Allen, um, who, quite frankly, they should have gone after when he was still with the Brooklyn Nets uh, before they got rid of him. Um, and I would say the same for a guy like um, who, I, who also I really like. Um, it's the current center, uh, Nick Claxton. I love Nick Claxton. Uh, I think he would be an excellent fit with this roster um, because of his athleticism, his ability to block shots. Uh, and, and he's a, a, a 10 rebound a game guy. He can give you that. Uh, and has some has, has the ability to put the ball on the floor as well at his height. He can uh, dribble the ball and handle it a little bit which I think is something that you need uh, to be able to do some dribble handoffs from your post with Zion. I think that's something that could be an interesting element to, um, in this offense. Um, and then I think at, at the point guard spot, yeah, it's tough, but you know, you look at a team like Detroit, which, yeah. which has a Monty Morris sitting there wasting on a roster that's going nowhere, or yeah. even a veteran guy like an Ish Smith 
from Charlotte, another team that's going nowhere that, you know, ish won his championship last year with Denver certainly is a guy who could give you 10 minutes. Who's not going to turn over the basketball who can get into the paint and, and create for people. And it's certainly that veteran who knows what it takes to get deep into the playoffs, which is still something that this team does not have a lot of people who have been beyond the second round of the playoffs. Doesn't have a lot of guys who've been past the first round of the playoffs. So I think there are, there are some targets, but I don't know if David Griffin either has the tools at this stage of, of the season or the willingness to shake up the roster um, in a major way, considering the fact that I think the ultimate goal for him this season was to see how the pairing of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson plays out. Yeah, no, that makes a that's a very good point there, because like I said earlier, we haven't really seen them play together for a sustained period of time. So this was the year to see exactly how good it can be. And we've seen it look great. Right. We've seen it look great at times where it's like, oh, wow, you know, this duo is really working well together. And we've had other times where maybe like, OK, can this duo work? But do they need better surrounding pieces? Do they need, you know, someone like a, a Kelly Olenek at the five, someone who could really spread it out and shoot that three when you have Zion? JV has become a decent three point shooter, but he's still not somebody who's respected out there. They're going to let him shoot if he's out there, you know, taking that time with that shot. Uh, so it's for me, when it comes to shaking up the roster, it's so do you trade say a Jose Alvarado and maybe a pick for Ish Smith or for TJ McConnell like I mentioned earlier because Jose Alvarado is somebody who the fans love he's a you know a big fan favorite and he has been good for the team he's somebody defensively him and Najee Marshall definitely add energy when they come into the game they, it's a big part of what they do as far as on the defensive end pushing the pace and do you want to give that up and shake up the chemistry of the team. I know it's something that you've been talking about where it's something that we don't need to hold on to. We don't need to hold on to what we believe we have when there could be better out there for us uh, or for the Pelicans. So I think that David Griffin should try to pull the trigger on something. I like the Ish Smith. I like that that idea of getting somebody like that, a veteran point guard to come off the bench, push the pace. He's somebody who could definitely, the way he pushed the pace, I could see him getting alleys to Zion or just getting him out there for easy baskets. So I really like that move a lot. Let's talk about Zion and B.I. Because ultimately, this is this is the discussion that, that determines the future of the Pelicans. And I think there are two questions. It's either Zion and B.I. Can those two work together? And it's Zion or B.I. So starting with Zion and B.I., um, I, I see, like you said, there are times when they work well together. But there are also times, and we've seen Willie Green allude to it in different ways and talk about, you know, at the, you know, how now they want to work more on getting Zion touches early so that he feels involved and then going back to Brandon. But we've seen throughout this month of January, B.I., his aggressiveness waxes and wanes from game to game. We've seen games where he's only taken nine shots. We've seen games where he's been highly inefficient at times. And then for Zion, we're seeing games where he doesn't take a tremendous amount of shots. And then also his, his rebounding this year, like I don't ever believe, and I've said this many times, Zion is never going to be a guy who averages eight to 10 rebounds a game. Never. He's much more of a perimeter three, four, rather than a four, five. Uh, you know, a guy who, uh, you know, he, he's going to get his rebounds primarily on offensive rebounds, on shots that he's near, and then defensive rebounds are going to be more long. He's not a box-out guy. It's just not who he is. But I think we've it, it's just been this this difficulty 
for the two of them to find a balance. There's been this alternating of, is it your shot? Is it my shot? And then also too, Brandon's style, whether you like it or not, is a style that means he's going to be ball dominant. He's yeah. going to dribble more. And for Zion, it's more of a quick one-two dribble, get into it. Whatever it's going to be, you see him at the top of the key. It's one-two dribbles. Either he's passing or he's going to the rim. And are their styles compatible on the floor enough for this team to, to get to be consistent? I believe they can be. I believe they can be with more time together. I believe they can be. And there's times where you see they do pick and roll action where B.I. is the ball handler and Zion setting the pick and they work from there. And it seems to work really well when they go to that over and over again, where they seem to kind of get a rhythm with that, with those two working together and everybody else playing off of them. And one thing that we haven't really seen, or maybe I, I've missed it, where the inverted pick and roll, where you have B.I. set picks for Zion. I feel like that's something that should be used more where you can create mismatches, have either a pick and pop where B.I. is getting open threes or a pick and roll or maybe B.I. is, you know, going to the basket where it's open because they don't expect it. I think stuff like that should be used more for them to work together. Uh, but I think I definitely think it can work because you have styles that are different, right? You mentioned how Zion is very quick to the basket. You know, he has to get there. Um, one thing that also needs to happen Zion has to develop something outside of five feet of the basket. Got to get something outside of that to also help with the versatility as well. Because there's times where you're mentioning B.I.'s style is to be ball heavy. If he's trying to drive to the rim or trying to create something, there's moments, man, where he's holding the ball. You've been, you're here, Antonio Daniel say it on the broadcast, man, there's no space right now for B.I. to work. And he has to have some type of space. They have to respect Zion at least to shoot a mid-range jumper or every once in a while, every blue moon, shoot a three-point jumper. And we've seen him, you know, hit every once in a while, shoot a three-pointer. If they leave him, you know, butt naked wide open, he'll shoot it. But he, we have to have that more just so had they have space to work together. So that lack of space is what makes it clunky at times. But I feel like if Zion takes that next step of having a mid-range jumper, that can definitely help in what they have as far as their continuity. Yeah, we've seen Zion's shooting profile this year. He's at the lowest percentage of shots within three feet of the rim of his career. He's shooting, you know, he's been pushed out just a little bit more. Um, and I think part of that has been when the Pelicans drafted Dyson Daniels, I think they were trying to replicate what's, what Zion had, the relationship with, with Lonzo Ball in a lot of ways, to generate those easy baskets by throwing the ball ahead to him. Um, Dyson's development offensively has, has been a little bit slower than anybody would like. You, you, you'd want him to be a bit more aggressive. Um, but I th also think part of the fact of that is that there's so many other Pelicans ahead of him in the shooting hierarchy that it's really hard for him to want to be a shooter. You know what I mean? Like, there are just so many guys that you would say who should be shooting before you get to Dyson. And I think on the floor, that's that has impacted him mentally. Um, defensively, he's, he's outstanding. But we're not seeing... On a night-to-night -night basis, you're not seeing Zion get the one-touch scores, the, the, the a lot of the lobs that he used to get in his first couple of seasons, those really easy buckets. I think that that's been a big problem for Zion and why we've seen his scoring dip a little bit. And um, that is something that the Pelicans really need to find a way for him. But I also agree with you. He needs to develop that Carl Malone 14 to 15-foot jumper where if you do a pick and pop, People are that that is that has to be deadly. It has to be that you're gonna knock that sucker down. 
Because as you said, see, the pick and roll, as especially as he gets older and his athleticism diminishes, which is only natural, yeah. you've got to have that secondary thing to go to. And the post moves will never be the thing at six foot six that he can rely on. Oh, for sure. No, I definitely agree there. Because when you go against teams who have length, right, you think about Milwaukee, for example, just had that game, and you got Giannis and Brook Lopez down there. It's going to be very hard for Zion. Yeah, exactly, to to be able to get off and to score against those matchups because he's getting pushed out because he's no longer able to get to the rim because teams are just waiting down there for him to get to the, the spots he wants to get to. So he definitely needs to develop that mid-range jumper. Uh, with Dyson Daniels, we've seen moments where he's gotten the ball ahead. He's gotten some uh, – so I think he's getting better at it. And he definitely wants to replicate that relationship that he had with Lonzo Ball. And he definitely has a similar skill set. The only thing is, can his offensive game develop? Because that's the same thing with Lonzo. Lonzo never really developed the finishing at the rim, right? He never really developed that before, you know, he had the unfortunate injuries. He never developed that, and that's something that Dyson struggles with as well. And with Dyson, if there's times I want to scream sometimes when he drives and I know the spin move's coming. Like, I know the spin move. <laughs> I know the spin move is coming. I just want to scream sometimes. Just, like, they should, like, hey, are you only limited to, like, two spin moves a game? They should do that to him just to make him develop other things. But with Dyson, I do believe that he can develop that offensive game. Like, you got to be more aggressive. But the thing is, do you give him that time over someone like a Jordan Hawkins, who we know is a knockdown shooter, who you know, if he's out there with Zion, that provides a lot of space. If he's out there with B.I., it provides so much space. So that's the tough thing. They have so many players who are at kind of the same positions and you don't know what you need that night. Do you need the defensive Dyson or do you need the shooting of Jordan Hawkins that night? Or do you need the energy of Jose Alvarado? Like it's so many things that makes it tough for Willie Green to know what to do each and every night. So I do feel from a little bit because I don't know what I would do each and every night as far as the rotation, because you don't know what you need from each and every player. I think the thing is, in all of those players, what we're talking about is limited ball handling. Yeah. Limited ball handling. You know, um, mostly you have combo guards or wings who can who can do some ball handling, but they all have flaws in the, in their handle. I think you know Bi can be a great creator, but he also has a very high dribble, which leads to some turnovers and 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 a lot. And we've seen him do these drop off passes lately, in particular, which I don't know where that infatuation came from. But we're seeing all of a sudden do tons of these drop off passes yeah. that have gotten picked off a lot um, in the last few games. It's every there's not really that person who you look at on this team who's an expert ball handler, and so you get a lot of guys who put in situations. Yeah, Jordan Hawkins coming off the screen, great. Jordan Hawkins, two dribbles and pull up, boom, love it. You know, all those things. But Jordan Hawkins running my offense, can't happen. You know, I'm not counting on him to make decisions with the basketball. With Dyson, I, I count on him to make good decisions. But like you said, I don't know if he'll ever finish. I don't yeah. know. He'll shoot the wide open three, and he's gotten better at that. But can he pump fake and get into and pull up for the mid-range? Jose can't. He can probe, but he can't get in there amongst the trees. And his three-point shot is inconsistent at best. There's a flaw with every one of these guys, whether it's a Najee Marshall or something, that it feels like you're trying to mash these guys together to make one player. And that's where we have the, the idea of depth, but not the actual uh, application of it. You have a lot of players who can play, but none of them fill the role that you really need them to fill in the exact way. 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And when you look at a team like the Knicks, for example, what they've been doing since they acquired OG Adenobi, is was there a trade that we could have made where we could have got an OG and paired him with a Herb Jones and imagine the defense we have with those two guys out there? I just don't know if we had – I know we have the picks, we have all the draft equity, but do we have the players to acquire someone like that to enhance our team in that way? The other part of the Zion or BI part of it is it seemed that before the season started, this was a referendum on both players. The organization is going to have to decide, A, for about the long-term future of Brandon Ingram because his contract is coming up soon. Zion already has his extension, but you're trying to decide. You know, I think the question for people was, did Zion really want to be a part of this? Yeah. I think Zion has shown over the last few weeks he's in better shape. Um, he looks much more fit. He wouldn't have been able to do that one-handed dunk, thing, you know, that we saw against Utah. He's not doing that in, in November. He wasn't capable of doing that in November. But now we're seeing his ability to get up back and down the up and down the floor again. The fact that for Brandon, he's reaching that age where we would consider a player to be in the heart of their prime. The decision on whether or not to pay him $45 million plus going forward, I think, has not been made easier um, this season. It's not a no-brainer to extend him because we just have not seen, I think, that next step. Part of this is that the feeling out process, but we're also five years into this, and the Pelicans still feel like a team where you're watching other teams in the West who are younger other teams in the West that have been doing the rebuild about the same amount of time who are moving past the New Orleans Pelicans. Do you think, if you're if you're David Griffin, do you feel comfortable making a long-term investment in Brandon Ingram at $45 million right now knowing C.J. McCollum is, is turning 33 and you still have a significant amount of money uh, invested in him? You've already given Zion his max deal and you're going to have to deal in one way or another with Jonas at the end of this season, either by uh, re-signing him or filling that spot with a free agent or something else in that position who's going to cost you, and there's still other parts that you need to fill out to this roster. How comfortable are you with the Pelicans giving a, a long-term deal to Brandon Ingram at that kind of uh, salary? Oh, man, that's tough because I love Brandon's game. Like, I love Brandon's game so much. And but like you said, we haven't seen the consistency, but we know what he's capable of. And the thing is, we've seen him, like you think about the year before last, where we made the playoffs and played against Phoenix, and you saw him in playoff action against Phoenix look like that type of guy who deserves a max $45 million a year type contract. He can be that lead guy. But can he be that lead guy alongside Zion, to go to your question earlier, and do they work together, both making, you know, crazy amounts of money? And you say with CJ as well. Now with CJ, I'm not worried, really worried about his age because I feel like he has a game that ages well. He's having his best shooting year this year, I think, uh, statistically, excuse me, having his best shooting year this year. So I'm not worried about his age and him aging badly. But that is three big contracts to say, okay, these are our big three, and this is who we're trying to win a championship with going forward. Uh, I do, I do believe in Brandon Ingram as a top guy. I know you. We'll talk about the All-Stars thing later. I don't know if Brandon Ingram's going to be an All-Star this year, but he is a borderline All-Star. Um, and 
with him and Zion both being guys who can be all-stars going forward, I think that's who you have to invest in. Because if you say, unless you can trade Brandon Ingram for someone that you believe can be that guy that's better with Zion, it's tough to make that decision going forward because then you have to take a step back if you just let him go. But if you just let Brandon Ingram go for nothing, you're taking a huge step back unless you can guarantee you're bringing in somebody who you know can be just as good or just as productive or a better fit alongside Zion and C.J. McCollum. So I think you're in a position where you have to sign Brandon Ingram and maybe you have to sacrifice other spots of the roster. Maybe a JV has to go for a cheaper option because you have to do that. But you're in a position where you have to sign a Brandon Ingram because if you don't, all these years may just go to waste because now you're taking a huge step back. I have to beg to differ. Now, this is why we have this conversation. But I would say that, you know, I think we, with Brandon, I think you got to sell high at this stage because I think you can still move forward. Um, But I look at the, the ultimate question for me in the NBA is if I'm building a champion, I think there are components that you certainly have to have. Your two best players have to be great two way players. I mean, that, that's that's without question. Neither B.I. or Zion right now is a great two-way player. Um, and and you can't have both of them be that. Um, but other part of that question is, you know, are, are either one of them all NBA players? Because to win a championship, you better have a top 10 player on your team. I think Brandon is as good as he may be. I don't think he's going to reach the point where we're talking about him as a top 10 NBA player. I think Zion has the potential to still be an all NBA player um, with his skill set. But I think Brandon is, is like you said, he, he's a, he's going to be remain for the, a borderline all-star depending on the year. He could be an all-star. He could not, but I don't see that all NBA level to make that investment. It's not. And I just, again, I think ultimately too, I don't know if on the court, those two can figure it out because I think that well, fundamentally, in my opinion, their styles are just too different. I just think that they do, there's just, it, it just seems that when they're on the floor together, it just doesn't feel right. It just, the chemistry just doesn't feel right. I think that they, they both have chemistry with different groups of guys on the team where it really works for them when the other one is gone, but them together, it just seems like it just, it, because of the things that we talked about defensively, um, whether you're leaving Herb out there kind of alone in that starting group, you're not going to bench CJ at this stage. And even if you did, if you switch CJ with Jordan Hawkins, let's say, the defense doesn't get better. You know what I'm saying? And and if, you, if CJ is a super sixth man, and I think the other question too that lingers is Trey Murphy, because ultimately you're have to you're having to decide soon is Trey Murphy a guy that saw last year when fully healthy was threatening to be a one of the youngest 50, 40, 90 guys in NBA history, um, the injury. And I think also the uh, roster configuration has not helped Trey right now. Um, but I, I haven't lost faith in Trey. Um, but I think ultimately him in the, in the starting lineup next year, let's say you have a starting lineup of CJ, Herb, Trey, Zion, and whomever at the center with Jordan Hawkins as, and, and, and let's say a Dyson Daniels or another point guard that you've gone and gotten in the offseason as your top seven. And if you keep a Larry Nance or if you had to go find it, because I think ultimately your team is determined by your top eight players and you're going to keep Hawkins in that group no matter what, Yeah, B.I. could end up being the odd man out. Oh, man, you make, you make great points. You make great points. It's 
just for me, like when you talk about that lineup, I, I do believe in Trey Murphy. I believe Trey Murphy is good enough to be a starter in this league. He, like you say, he struggled a little bit this year, but he, like his shot is so deadly when he's on. And we've seen it even this year. We've seen it when he's gotten hot and you're like, oh man. And we're starting to see more of the development as far as pick and roll with him. I would love to see a little bit more of that, of pick and roll with Trey Murphy as the ball handler. I think that he's starting to develop that in this game as well. And I like when he goes to the rim, he's looking better as a finisher at the rim as well. So I definitely believe in him as a starter. But to lose Ingram, you're asking a lot of Trey Murphy at that point to come in and be that guy. Do you believe he can be on the level that Brandon Ingram is right now eventually? I think he can be a 20-plus point game per game scorer. I think you still need – ultimately, you need a superstar alongside Zion who's going to have the attitude. I mean, like, who's going to provide accountability and energy, a legitimate superstar. Um, I don't know who that is. Honestly, yeah. like you said, I don't know where you go find that player. Um, but there may be a team that is, has a younger guy that, that, that needs to move on, um, you know, or, or needs to find a new home that you try to find a, a guy on the Zion age timetable. Because that part of it, too, is that Zion and B.I. Are, are four or five years apart in age and so they are also career-wise now on different timetables whereas brandon is looking for that point I, i'm ready to secure my long-term place like, this is where you get to that state this is his last really big deal in the nba coming up zion says a couple of these at his age if if he stays healthy all things being considered so I think that that also, that timetable makes everything around this very difficult. And I think that's the unfortunate part of all the injuries is that now you are rushed in a sense to make that decision following this season. It's not a position I would want to be in, but that's where the Pelicans are. You, you, you can't go into year six and seven still wondering, do Zion and B.I. work? So you, you've got to either figure it out with the other parts and make sure you have the exact right pieces around them, or you've got to break them up. No, you, you're definitely right. And like I said, I'm definitely not envious of that position because it's an extremely hard decision to make. I just can't picture giving up Brandon Ingram or giving up on Brandon Ingram and taking that step back, which I think is a step back because with Trey Murphy, I, even though, I, like I said, I believe in Trey Murphy, I do believe he could be a 20-point-a-game guy in this league, especially with how good his shot is and how good it can be. It's just tough to ask that of him for next season. I think maybe maybe a year or two away from seeing the ultimate product of Trey Murphy as a starter, as a guy who can be that efficient and that productive while being asked to do it at that volume, right? Like, to be 50-40-90 off the bench – it's different to be 50, 40, 90 when asked to take more than, you know, 15 shots a game. It's a lot different then. Um, as we look at the West, it's gotten much tighter. The Pelicans were holding on pretty firmly to that fifth spot for a good while. And now we've seen them drop back in the standings and they're much closer to 10th than they are to fourth um, at this stage. The schedule does not get any easier coming up as we go into February. You go, after we get with this Rockets game and the Spurs, you still got games at the Clippers, at the Lakers, um, against the Rockets again, against the Miami Heat, who certainly got better with the Terry Rozier deal. Uh, the Bulls, who are playing better basketball, and Kobe White. Now, that is a guy who interests me a lot. Kobe White, 
as a potential target for the Pelicans interests me in a number of ways. If you talk, you could talk me into certainly maybe, you know, a Brandon Ingram, Kobe White, the way he's starting to look. But that's, you know, that's projection. But also okay. you go at New York and at Indiana, who, you know, you got to deal with Halliburton and Obi Toppin and all the Matherin and all those guys. Um, yeah. February is a very tough month too. And you got Pelicans fans who are telling me, well, they'll they'll start to stack the wins in March. That's too yeah, late. We and we do this yeah. every year <laughs> with the Pelicans when people talk about the ease of the schedule at the end. And we've never really seen that pan out other yeah. than last season where they got some wins over some really bad teams at the end. But I, I'd not like to make that bet that you can go through another month of February like, like January has been and think you're going to be in position to not end up at the very – least in the play-in and possibly fall out of it no like it's definitely we can't wait till march can't wait till march how tight the west is you mentioned houston's gonna be a tough game they, they've played us very tough this year in games that even you know we thought that oh we can we should win this game they've played us very tough and their style of defense that's one thing that i've seen also physical defenses give us issues um yeah. so I, def I definitely think that game against houston is going to be tough because even though they haven't they don't have the record of a top team they're going to bring it each and every night because Emi Yadoka brings that with him where they're going to bring it each and every night so you have these games where they have to win they have to find a way to be good teams this three-game loser streak is against three of the best teams in the league you have to find a way to win these games you have to find a way to hold on to leads like you had against Boston. So this month, they have to win these games. Uh, we might get a break with New York because Julius Randle's hurt. So we might get a break in that game. But outside of that, it's a very tough schedule. Uh, Indiana, we know that game's going to be tough because they're going to be running up and down the court. You might be able to score, but you got to be able to keep up with them. Uh, so we definitely can't wait to March. we got to find wins now. And the thing is, we find wins now. I believe Sacramento's in fifth right now. If we can get up to where Sacramento is, we know we have a tiebreaker with them because that's one team that we have owned this year. So if you get there with Sacramento, you can get that fifth spot. And I believe that's the highest we can get. I don't know if we'll get the top four because that four seems pretty locked in. It's possible to get to that top yeah. four. Yeah, so fifth is the highest we'll probably get. And I think that we still can do that. But like you said, definitely cannot take for granted what we have now and say, oh, we'll be able to do it in March. No, you got to get the victories now over these tougher teams. And you have to find a way to win these games. And part a big part of that is executing down the stretch. And I thought we got over that hump. When we had those two losses to Memphis – where we lost those games where we definitely should have won. After that, we kind of took off. And I thought, okay, that was the moment. That was the turning moment where the light bulb went off. And maybe we got to go back and find what we found then. But something has to be found again where we execute down the stretch and win these games. And the Pelicans create their own tight games far too yeah. often. And as we've seen, their clutch record, 6-10 and 10 this season, 26th yeah. in the NBA. The four teams that are beneath them, you'd expect to be beneath them. They're all lottery teams. The Pelicans are a team that's in contention for the playoffs, and they have one of the worst clutch records in the league. That shows, again, that, that Jekyll and Hyde mentality with this squad of just not being able to finish their business um, on a night-to-night -night basis. Just, I'm, I'm going to just ask you this. I, I don't know. Did you watch the broadcast last night of the Pelicans game at all? No, I had to watch it back this morning. I didn't okay. watch it. See, one of the things that Bob about it was at the end of the broadcast there was a lot of hey they played three and a half good quarters but they were outscored in each of the final three quarters so to me in my mind because yeah. i think every coach usually looks at a game as you're looking at it as quarters we must yeah. win this quarter 
your job, each quarter, you think of it as 0-0. You come out as players. Score 0-0 at the start of every quarter. We need to win the quarter. You know, Pelicans lost three of four quarters against Boston. You had a great start, but then you lost three of four quarters. And it seems as if folks are tending to make these moral victories for the Pelicans. Hey, it wasn't as bad of a loss as it was against Milwaukee. Boston is the best team in the league. Well, somebody's got to beat them. And why can't it be you? They were without Porzingis. They were missing pieces. You know, and we, and you played against other elite teams this year when they've been missing pieces. And you've been relatively healthy this season. It feels as if there's still this kind of culture around the Pelicans, too, of forgiving and allowing for failure and not demanding a certain level of excellence. And I think that fans have kind of been there this this fight now between fans and I, I know you see it online where yeah. there's either all doom and gloom or there are people who are uh, too optimistic you know nothing is wrong the sky is beautiful the nuance has been kind of driven out of it because of the way this team plays I think emotionally you have to either I think people have decided I have to be one or the other because I can't deal with the roller coaster yeah, no, I definitely feel you on that. And I think part of that is the perception of the team being young, right? It's the perception of this team being a young team. So that gives you the excuse of the moral victory, the excuse of, oh, okay, they played well for this portion of the game. And even if it is in reality where they got outplayed for three-fourths of the game, it's for someone who's trying to look for that positive outlook, they're saying, okay, they were they had the lead going into the fourth quarter, or they did this when the thing is, we know an issue has been holding on to leads in the fourth quarter. When I mentioned those two Memphis games, you know, one of the things when, you know, Ja comes back, he has this big game winner in his first game back, and people wanted to be like, oh, you know, that's, you know, Ja Morant's awesome. And I'm like, no, we should have won that game. There's no moral victory about that. We should have, we definitely should have won that game. And it's, you know, coded, like, I hate it at the end of that game. I hate it. Herb Jones is a great defender, one of the best in the league. Well, why are you leaving him on an island against John Morant, one one high, four down at the end of the game? No one in the league can guard John. Ball Morant. out of John's hands. Yeah, get the ball, <laughs> get the ball out of his hands. You have to get the ball out of his hands in that moment. So moments like that where some fans don't want to point that out. I'm I'm with you. Like we have to have the nuance of okay, yes, this team definitely has shown us the possibility of what they can do, and that's why we have to hold them to that high standard because we know what they can do. So when you see a game like we had against Utah, where we score 153 points, you're like, okay, we know they're not going to shoot like that each and every night, but we should see that execution each and every night. Even if you're missing shots, it's like, okay, you're going to have some bad nights where the ball just doesn't go in. That, that's basketball. But we should see that execution of the offense you mentioned earlier that the assistant coach wants to run. Have that offense each and every night where you're executing on that level. And if you're executing on that level, then we can't really get mad about missed shots unless right. it's like consistently. But if you're having just a bad night, it's like, okay, you had a bad night, you missed shots. But if you're not executing, that's when we have to hold you to that standard. So I agree with you. You have to have a balance of, okay, we realize what this team can do. We can celebrate what this team can do when they do do it, celebrate the positive. But you have to call it a negative as well. So I'm with you on that. Like when you were in uh, elementary school or high school and, you know, there may be a class that you, you know, you weren't particularly interested in. And every once in a while, you would you get an A on a test and the teacher say, I'm like, well, you showed me what you can do. Why don't you give me that A every time? And you're like, exactly. mm. that's, the, <laughs> that's the difference. The maturity of producing what you're capable of 
and, and then if you lose, okay. If you yeah. did what you were completely capable of and you lose, you got beat. That's going to happen. This is pro sports. That happens in life. But I think that's the thing as you see, you'll see one and a half great quarters of execution and then just falling into those bad habits again, yeah. falling into the individual play, falling into the lack of recognition, uh, those types of things that they do just on uh, where it becomes just too consistent and inconsistent. And, and I think, as you said, physicality being number one amongst those things, the Pelicans never feel like the toughest team on the floor. And you have in this league, if you're going to get to the finals, you better have a chip on your shoulder. You better be willing to fight for something. And, and, and on occasion, you got to be willing to be the bad guy. You have yeah. to be the villain sometimes. And, you know, it's fine to have the nicest team in the league that everybody loves and all these guys are great, nice guys. Najee can't be the only dude who's got an attitude. Yeah. You need some yeah. other guys who are going to play. With, I think Jordan Hawkins has that nastiness about him. I, I give him that. I think he's one of those guys who has got he's got a little nastiness to him. But I think you'd like to see a little bit more. I think Herb has it in a cold way. Herb is like an assassin, you know, in his coldness. But you need some of that negative, like negative energy, really, that that bad guy energy to be willing to be a villain um, on the road, to take somebody out a couple times. You know, like you're not talking about flagrant fouls, but hey, sometimes you got to make Jason Tatum feel you. Like, like they say every game, the other team didn't feel us. Why are we still having that question? Why do we? Why is that still something that we're hearing in January when you've had this team together? Like again, this group is the first time that you've had them together essentially since training camp, healthy and ready to go. That shouldn't be a question. No, I'm definitely with you. And the game that stands out, where a team literally was like, "We're going to be physical with you. We're going to see how you respond." Game against Dallas. So we had the home and home series with Dallas. We played on both of both games are in Dallas. And that second game, we're coming off a game where we beat them without our starters outside of JB, who's missing consistent plays every night. We sit all our guys, we beat them because Jordan Hawkins goes off. They come out the next game, like, okay, we're going to be physical with you guys. And we didn't respond well to that. Right. At first, it seemed like we were responding well. We were jab, we were jogging and you know, jabbing with the other teams. Like, okay. And it seems like whenever we have those moments where we start talking and we start going back and forth to the team, it throws us off. We have to have something where we can have that balance of, okay, we're the team that might not want to talk, but we still got to be physical with you. And we got to respond to that physicalness. We can't have Grant Williams being the guy to throw us off. That, 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 can't, that can't happen. That can't happen. So I'm with you on that. We have to find that, that nastiness, like you said, to where it can't just be Najee Marshall. It can't just be Jose Alvarado to have that nastiness about us. And like I said, I do say it in Jordan Hawkins. I do say it in Jordan Hawkins as well. Zion has moments, but he'll get hyped. Like if he gets if he gets fouled and he does get called and he gets he gets aggravated, that's when it comes out. But it doesn't come out towards the other team. I want to see it come out towards the other team sometimes where he has that nastiness and that edge about him. Because if he does it, it kind of trickles down. So I want to see that more from Zion as well. I would love Zion to pick up some offensive fouls by going right through somebody's chest. Yeah. I don't have a problem with one of them being, you know, Zion hasn't really been in foul trouble this season. There's a couple of games yeah. where he's gotten into it, but he hasn't really been in foul trouble. I'd like yeah. to see you use that. You know, it goes back. It might be a little bit before your time, but you might remember this. Yeah. Patrick Ewing, the 1982 NCAA championship. You know, I think you may have heard the story of where John Thompson said, I don't care. Block, you know, block everything that comes in the basket for the first five minutes. Yeah. And it, goaltender not. You're just sending a message. 
that they, you're not going to let them see a shot go in. And I think there's, there is a mental part of the game about that, that people, you know, the NBA has gotten real comfortable. We see with all the scoring, people are real comfortable that, that there's, and, and sometimes you got to put somebody on their ass. It's yeah. just the way it is not to hurt people, but you got to just make them think that you, that when they drive to the bucket, somebody's waiting for them, that there's yeah. going to be some contact. And if you're six, six and two seventy, then you need to use that. You're like, brother, please, please. I'd love to see you do it on both ends of the floor. Sometimes you got to be there to, even if it's not a charge, just to make that guy feel you, take the block because he, he has to run through you. Take the charge, try to dunk on somebody just because, you know, like a lot of Zion's dunks come in transition or around people. I'd like to see a, a few more through people. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Like I said, Nick, sometimes you see him get annoyed and it's because, you know, he feels like he's getting fouled, which does happen a lot. I do I do have to agree with that where it seems like he gets a lot of contact where other players are getting those calls and he doesn't get them. And maybe finally playing, sustain a period of time will get him those calls. But it has to be more than just that. It has to be, okay, this team went on an 8-0 run. Let's see you stop that run. Let's see you be the one to say, okay, hey, we got to get together. Give me the rock. I'm going to go through them real quick, and let's see if we can change the momentum. I want to see more of that from Zion. He'd be the one to stop the momentum, to stop the bleeding because of his physicality. I want us to end on, on a high note. I think we, we covered the Pelicans, you know, thoroughly. Um, so let's have a little fun. The All-Star game is coming up. The, the starting lineups have been announced. Giannis, uh, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Tyrese Halliburton, and Damian Lillard in the East. I think everyone agrees with four of those five, five spots. I don't think Damian Lillard, though I know he's never started an all-star game in his career. I get it. I just don't think he deserved the starting nod this year. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I thought it should have been Jalen Brunson to get that starting spot with what he's done with the Knicks or even Tyrese Maxey, what he's done this year with Philadelphia. Like, it definitely shouldn't have been – uh, Damian Lillard, or even Ivan Mitchell with the way Cleveland's been playing lately, especially with the injuries they've had and how he's kept them above water and even kind of striving and thriving during this time with their injuries. So Damian Lillard, you know, that was definitely just a popularity thing where he got that one. And I feel like with the fan vote, I understand it's the All-Star game, it's for the fans, but it shouldn't be a tiebreaker deciding who starts or who doesn't start. And I believe that's how Damian Lillard got the spot because he had the tiebreaker over Jalen Brunson with fan votes. That shouldn't be what decides it. Fans should still have a part in it because it is for the fans. But let's make it to where we have the right people starting. I understand ultimately it doesn't mean anything, but let's have the right people starting because you just that means something to them. It means something to Jalen Brunson to start an all-star game. So I definitely thought it should have been Jalen Brunson or Donovan Mitchell over Damian Lillard. On um, the West, LeBron, KD, uh, Jokic, Luka, and uh, SGA. Hard to make any changes to that group. I mean, you know, Jokic is who he is. KD has been playing some phenomenal basketball. I think the only argument, I guess, is, I guess maybe you could you could argue Devin Booker and Luka over that spot because Booker has, what Booker's at 27 points and seven assists right now, which is very rare territory. Not many players have ever put posted those kinds of numbers and he's shooting at such a high percentage. But I think balance-wise, the West got it right. I don't think any team should have two starters um, from the West in that in that group. I don't think any of them deserved to have two starters in that group. 
um, as far as starters, but the reserves are going to be a problem uh, as we go forward. Yeah, now the reserves, I did it on my show last week, and there's going to be four or five all-star caliber players who don't make the all-star team this year because the West is that deep. And we're talking about Brandon Ingram is probably going to be one of those guys who's an all-star caliber player who doesn't get into the all-star game this year because of how... It has a legit yeah. argument, too. I think CJ has been the most consistent Pelican this season. Yeah. And as you said, career-high shooting numbers across the board. CJ in that backcourt, you know, this is a year that he probably would have gotten recognized in another. If he were in the East, maybe he'd be in. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 so deep. And then the front court too, I could – like, I think Anthony Davis will get picked, but I could argue that he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, you definitely can make Lakers, an argument. Yeah, you, know, you can make an record. Yeah. I agree with you. You can make an argument that he doesn't deserve because of his of their record, because you want to reward a team like Minnesota to have to, with two all stars, or a team like OKC with two all stars. But with Anthony Davis, his name recognition and the stats he's put up this year, he's put up great stats. Now with the Lakers, they just haven't him, him and LeBron is so weird. They're both healthy this year and still haven't been able to put it together. So he's probably going to get in. I can definitely see you making an argument for a Jalen Williams from OKC or even Chet from OKC, or maybe a Rudy Gobert, because Rudy Gobert is probably the front runner for a defense player of the year so far. So you can make an argument for those guys because their teams are winning. So I can definitely say that over Anthony Davis. And as far as the starting lineup, the only thing I can see maybe is Kawhi, because the Clippers are playing so well over LeBron, but it's LeBron James. So it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as LeBron's in the league, he's going to start. That's just, yeah. that's just the way it is. I mean, we might as well just forget that. But yeah. But when you talk about it, Kawhi being in, he, Paul George is likely going to get in. And as you said, yeah. Anthony Edwards. The, the Minnesota's going to push for three. This cat is going to be – they're going to be talking about Cat's numbers, and, and his shooting numbers have been insane this season, even though we view Cat as kind of a soft dude, you know. But yeah. all-star-wise, Cat's going to be like, I've been an all-star before, and my team's in first place. And as you said, if you're OKC and you've got the best record in the league – I mean, in the Western Conference, you're tied for the best record in the West – You'd expect to get a second guy in there too. And as you said, Jalen Williams has put up phenomenal numbers. I am a Chet believer. I'm a Chet yeah. believer. I was a Chet believer when he was at Gonzaga. I, I did not think that his size was going to, like his lack of strength was going to be a problem because I saw two things in Chet, a dog, like, and the skill set. Chet is yeah. not to be played with. That dude is not here to, to, for you to pump. And, yeah. and he, the skill set is... You know, uh, you know, he is not the length of Victor Wimbignana and all those things, but he's got every other thing. He can shoot three. He can put the ball on the floor. He can defend. What can't Chet do? You tell me. You tell me yeah, what no. he can't do. He's doing it at a highly efficient rate. Yeah, no, there's no holes in this game. There's no holes in Chet Holmgren's game at all. Uh, and like you said, in today's NBA, the lack of size and strength isn't going to be a big deal. Right. Of course, you want him to get a little stronger, get bigger, just because you don't want him to get, you know, body bodied, you know, the Jonas Valachunas of the world. But he's not going to be going against JV every night. So for the, for the most part, that lack of size isn't going to really affect him. So I agree with you there. I'm a big proponent of his. Yeah, that was one of my, I guess, my bold predictions was that he was going to win rookie of the year over Victor Wimiyama, which looks pretty good so far, even though Victor's kind of coming on strong the last month or so. Uh, but I really like him. Jalen Williams is really good. I remember watching a game where OKC played Boston and late in the game, they didn't go to SGA. They went to Jalen Williams. He went straight at Jason Tatum to kind of ice that game. It was like, oh, 
okay. Like he he's about it. Like he's he's definitely not scared of the moment. So I definitely like that team. I think they should have two all-stars, but again, the West is so deep, it's gonna be hard to get two all-stars from that team. And still Steph is going. Like we yeah. know Steph is going. <laughs> again, yeah. that's another guard spot taken right there. So I mean it's just it's so hard because you kept Brooke is going, Steph is going. Yeah. Like it's, you're already like if you just start writing in names, yeah, it's there's so many guys who are going to get who are gonna be sitting there and be like I got snubbed, and, and people say, well, the solution is to, to lengthen the rosters. No, I don't think yeah. the solution is to 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 make it 15 men, or whatever, because you're not seeing enough guys play. I mean, like we're not getting enough of the players now. Like yeah. guys are sitting down so fast now, getting so 10 minutes, maybe eight minutes. You see guys now. I don't want to see if you're at the all-star game, I want to see you play. Like I'd really yeah. like to see you play. No, I'm right there with you. The the thing is, there's more talent now than there's ever been. So making an all-star team just means more. That's all it means. Like you have to really be a top guy to make the all-star team. So the solution isn't to lengthen the rosters. The solution is to be one of those top 12 guys in your conference. And with the West, unfortunately, for some guys, it's just really hard to do that. But I definitely agree with you. Like, it's about just being those top 12 guys. And the only thing I can see maybe is you make it truly positionless, and maybe that changes things. But that's the only solution I can see. But don't lengthen the roster, because then you're kind of watering down what it means to be an all-star. So I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, I think baseball did that. You know, baseball ruined its all-star game by making it not matter anymore. Um, like, it, and, and I think that's the general problem with all-star games in general right now. The it, the Pro Bowl certainly doesn't matter. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's a flag football yeah. game now, so it doesn't matter. Uh, and and I think the NBA all-star game has been dealing with this thing of, is it just going to be guys running back it up? And I know they've tried these experiments the last couple of times. I just want, I, I would love, and I agree with you, this is the most skilled the NBA has ever been. I will not yeah. argue that point with anybody. But I think it's also the least competitive as far as how many guys out there on a night to night basis are there to win basketball games. And like, you know, like that's their goal rather than show off their skills. Like it's particularly when we're talking about American players versus European players. The reason we see so many euros at the top of the conversation is because they didn't come in based on just their skill set. They had to earn their way wherever they came from, whether it's Slovenia, Jokic didn't come up from, you know, the expectations. Doncic start play at 13, 14, 15 in, in pro leagues and having grown men really not, hey, I'm not giving my minutes to some kid. You had to earn that in yeah. practice. And I think we've seen this fight with AAU basketball, with the lack of college basketball. My question to people all the time is, where do American basketball players learn to win now? Where do you learn to win? Because high school is too easy. AAU is not about winning. And if you only go to college for one year, you went there to get your stock up, not to win anything. You didn't need an NCAA title to get drafted. So where do you learn how to win? Because by the time you get to the NBA, now you're trying to secure your spot. So again, it's a selfish thought, not in the negative way, but you, 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 you're selfishly trying to protect your yeah. career, but you've never so learned how to win anything. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. And even with college now, like I've been covering Arizona State for a little bit here, and the college game, it's weird because you're like, okay, you would expect that's where the winning mentality would come in, but they're just not learning there the game that translates to the NBA. You watch college, it's like a totally different game. It's like, it's, 
Yeah, it's so crazy to watch a college game than go and watch an NBA game. It's totally different. And it's in a way where for a long time, I wasn't a college basketball fan for a long time. And it kind of reminded me like, okay, this is why. Like, it's just the the skills just aren't there. And then you talk about the European players where they're not playing in college. They're playing professional ball very early on. And that lack of competitiveness, that's something I saw in that Dallas versus Atlanta game where Lucas scored 73. So I, I came home and I saw on my phone that Luca had like 35 and it was like a second quarter. So I'm like, let me put this game on and see what's going on. And the amount of times where he did one move and got to the basket. I'm talking about layup, not a fancy layup where he had to go around somebody. I'm talking about one move, left hand lay on the left side, easy. Like it was like he was doing the, the layup drill before practice. Like just let me just get this layup. The amount of times that happened was just alarming. And I know Atlanta's not a good defensive team, period. But at what point, when a guy has 40 points in the first half, there has to be something like, yo, he's killing us. He's killing us. Like, we have to do something about this. And for it just, it didn't snap in until like late in the fourth quarter. Like, oh, we're going to trap him now. Oh, now you want to trap him? Like, this, <laughs> this is when he wants to come in. So that lack of competitiveness is something that I'm definitely with you on where, the skill is crazy and you're going to have people score these crazy amount of games, but I want to see it where it happens where it's hard, where it's hard shots. Even when Devin Booker scored 52 against the Pelicans, Devin Booker was making tough shots. So I want to see that competitiveness where it's tough shots and it's like, okay, this guy scored 50, but it was tough. That 73, it's not easy to score 73 by yourself in the gym. So don't get me wrong, <laughs> but the score 73 where Luca was just doing anything he wanted to do, it's like, it kind of wars it down a little bit of what that really means. So I definitely agree with you that the competitiveness needs to be there from the American players and from a night-to-night -night basis. It shouldn't be certain, just certain teams that you see defensively that bring it each and every night. It should be every team. Lastly, um, at this stage in the season, oh, here's the one. Are you concerned that uh, Joel Embiid will miss too many games and not be in consideration for any of the postseason awards? Because he's only, I what, am. six away now? Yeah, I'm very concerned because he definitely should be MVP, right, with the way he's playing this year. I was talking about it earlier. He's joined very elite company. If he continues to average 35 points a game, he's only been done by Wilt, MJ, Kobe, and James Harden, right? We talk about 35 points a game for an entire season. And what he's doing defensively as well. He's an amazing player. But – the missed games, I agree with the standard of 65 games. I think there should be a standard of, oh, you have to play this many games to get these awards because these awards affect bonuses, affect max contracts. You should have to play at least a certain amount of games. Now, hopefully they don't change it if Joel Embiid misses too many games. I'm, that's what I'm nervous about. I'm nervous that he's going to yes. miss too many games and then they're going to go back on the rule because he is playing at such a high level. And I have a feeling he's going to play like 64 games. He's going to miss it by like one, something crazy like that. And they're going to be like, oh, we got to change it. This is unfair. He should have been MVP. That's my, my real scare is that they're going to go back on the rule because Joel Embiid doesn't get MVP this year. So hopefully he does play enough games so they don't have to change the rule back. But that's my thing. If he does miss the amount of games that makes him miss out on the awards, so be it. Don't change it. Like this is the real, this is what you need to do. You have to play this amount of games to get these awards. Don't go back on it just because Joel Embiid misses out on MVP this year. In baseball, you have to have a minimum amount of at-bats to qualify for the batting title. You have to have a minimum amount of innings pitched to qualify for the Cy Young Award. It just, it is what it is. There, there has to be some bar to, to set 
if we're talking about it. And if you you miss more than a third of the season, yeah, I think it, it's kind of hard to say how valuable you really are if yeah. if you are able to miss that many games. I hate it for a guy, like you said, to put, who's putting up historic numbers. Um, but it is what it is. These are the rules, and and uh, I think that that I think that was a correct step in the in for the NBA to get guys to not uh, be so willing to to uh, miss games because it was. You know, that stat that that's re- was really interesting is they showed, you know, LeBron is in season, what, 22? Are we talking about 22? 20, yeah, 21 and 22. And uh, he is still hundreds of games behind Kareem and Robert Parrish on the all-time games played list, though he's beaten them both wow. in seasons. Wow, that's So that's he's like 400 games behind Robert Parrish for the all-time record for games played. That shows you how many games people have been able to sit out over the course yeah. of their career where that just wasn't the case before. And I think that we have to give some respect to that too. When we talk about historical perspective is that guys could not sit out. There wasn't yeah. no choice. You, you, if you said there wasn't no check, it just didn't yeah. work that way. Or somebody might have your spot by the time you come back. That's why you have Gerald Henderson playing games in a neck brace <laughs> because, Hey man, you can't miss tonight. We need you out there. If it's for five minutes, put that neck brace on and let it roll. Uh, yeah. now man, that's, this has that's, been... that's that's very real right there and the crazy thing is LeBron for this era is the picture of consistency and durability so the fact that he even with all these seasons is still behind all those guys shows you how different it was back then and when you look at somebody's career like I have the argument with people about Michael Jordan one of the things I bring up is Michael Jordan played 82 games like most of the season in his career he played 82 games and it's just remarkable to see what those guys did. And the diff- there's something that people have brought up is that the style of play was much different. So like in the 90s, it was much slower than it is today because of the game. But you still, it still was a physical game. Like it still was a grind. So it's still, it was physical in a different way than today. Like yesteryear is more physical with, you know, I'm going to hit you with this. It's going to be more physical in that way. Today is more physical with the amount of space you have to cover and the amount of stuff that, you know, just the miles on your legs. So it's still physical in a different way, but I'm definitely with you on they played because they had to, and you have to respect that, and you should still stay with the standard today of, okay, you have to play 65 games just to enforce that. And we're starting to look at Kawhi and AD and these guys who are playing this year who may not have played that many games in the past. So it is having a positive impact this year. I think they should continue it. Lastly, um, as we are past the halfway mark, if you did have to pick the finals today, what two teams are you, are you calling? Oh, you put me on a spot. <laughs> uh, I have to go Boston out of the East. I really like what they're doing, especially when KP's healthy. If KP can come back and be healthy, that team is really, really good. So I like Boston out of the East. From the Western Conference, ooh, the West is tough, man. The West is tough, but I'm going to go with Denver. I'm going to go with Denver right now. still think they're the most complete team, and I don't think we've seen them at their highest level yet. I feel like they're kind of cruising to right now, and I feel like we're going to see them turn up come March, come April, turn up and go into the playoffs on that high note. But So I'm going to go Boston and Denver for my finals right now. Who do you have? I think I have to agree with you at this stage because I am not – uh, Doc Rivers does not make me feel more confident in Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Giannis. He's yeah. he's he's one of my five favorite players. But um, 
I do not, I don't believe in Doc. I just think Doc is, no one has ridden one more championship, one championship harder than Glenn Doc Rivers. Um, <laughs> and it was, it, it, it was like the most fortunate championship. You know, he was about to get fired. I, I tell people all the time, he was about to get fired in Boston. They were not that great before the deals get made and put together a team that basically he just had to manage egos. Yeah. He had to make sure those dudes didn't kill each other. Because with yeah. we do, when you're dealing with Rondo, KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kendrick Perkins, there's some crazy people in that mix. Tony yeah, Allen, there's, there's some folks you got to deal, you know. Yeah, he and does then, deserve credit for that because not every coach could have managed that locker room for sure. Right. So, but you got one. That's all you got was one. So yeah. for all of that, and then the, the amount of three oh, oh, one defeats, the fact that Philly never made a conference final, the fact that the Clippers never made a conference final, you know, I don't feel like how do you go get a guy who's not made conference finals and make that the guy to get you back to the NBA finals? So I'm not go, I'm not a big believer anymore in Milwaukee. Um and then I just think the problem for Miami is always going to be this, the same problem. Is like, I don't know if they're going to be able to get enough buckets. You know, I, mean, I just I worry about them. I think, oh, um, you know, they've gotten much better um, as a team. I think the Rogier deal is great. Um, they will be a force in the playoffs. I'm not a Knicks believer yet either because of Tom Thibodeau. Um, I just, I, I think the Knicks will be a problem. But I think, as you said, Boston with, with Porzingis, defensively there's nowhere for you to score when they yeah. when they are healthy and they've got all of those guys and you have and then you could put Horford back in that backup position up front people forget how good Porzingis is defensively when he was at his fully healthiest when he was young he was an all NBA defender he yeah. made an all defensive team before the injury started kicking in. So I think people forget how good he is at that center position, defending people and how much range he can cover and how many mistakes he can take care of. And you're not going to get a whole bunch of mistakes. The thing for Boston is going to be, does Jason Tatum make the leap? Because he's statistically, he's fine, but it's the mental part. Does he not make the turnovers in the postseason? Does he not settle for the threes? Yeah, that's the, big that's thing. the part that I want to see from Jason Tatum uh, in the finals. He's got to be the best player in every series to, to get himself to that, that upper echelon. As far as the West, I think you're right with Denver because Oklahoma City has never been there. Yeah. They're not ready. You don't jump from never, you know, not in the playoffs or just barely into the playoffs and then become a champion. Time for champion. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. And then for Minnesota, I would say the same thing, too. They have guys who have some experience, but this is becoming Anthony Edwards' team. And I think they have, that still is going to take a little bit more time for that evolution to complete. Yeah, with Minnesota, do you trust Rudy Gobert in the playoffs? Or does he get played off the floor the same way he did in Utah? That's a big thing come playoff time. Is he going to be able to be out Mike there? Conley, yeah. and Mike Conley were five years younger, too. Like if this yeah. were, then I would have a lot more confidence in Minnesota. I worry, I always worry about Conley's health because he broke yeah. down, you know, at the end of his time in Utah and he broke down and he, and he broke down last year. It's, it's can Mike Conley stay healthy? Because if he's not on the floor, things can get chaotic for Minnesota too. Yeah. No, cause you mentioned earlier how New Orleans needs that point guard. Mike Conley has been that presence for Minnesota. And when he's not there, you see it on that team. You definitely feel the impact of him not being there in those games. Do you believe in the Clippers? Do you believe in the Clippers to be a team that could maybe knock Denver off? It's hard, man. It's just, 
that James Harden and Russell Westbrook yeah. in the playoffs. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I believe in Kawhi. I believe in Kawhi. You can't, I, I, yeah. I trust Kawhi. James Harden and Russ in the playoffs. How does it? How is it going to work? I, I think Ty Lewis is one of the best coaches, one of three or four best coaches in the entire NBA. I believe that firmly. Yeah. I just I wonder when it comes down to possessions in the fourth quarter, are egos going to be able to be put aside? That yeah. that always becomes the thing with those guys. And so I think the Clippers. I think a Clippers Nuggets conference final would be amazing. But yeah. we'll see how the standings shake out and make see if that can even be possible. Um, but uh, yeah, with the Clippers, it's that's the one thing is it, it's it's Russ and Harden and just neither one of them, as we know, like it's getting back to that level that they were has been really hard for them um, over the course of their career. The Clippers are such a good team, but they're also an injury away from being a bad one. No, nah, for sure, I'm definitely right there with you. Let me ask you one last thing before we get out of here. Pelicans, we get in the playoffs. What team do you think we could beat in a series? Obviously, the Kings, I believe we match up very, really well with the Kings. If we play them, we could win that series. Is there any other team that you see that we could beat in the first round series? I think they'd like to play Minnesota. Okay. I think, yeah. again, they, they played Minnesota well um, over the years um, since this trade, you know, since the Rudy Gobert trade. And um, you'd like to play against Minnesota. The, the only thing is, you always ask who's the best player in the series. Anthony Edwards would be the best player in the series. You know what I mean? That would be the first question is who's the best player in the series? Anthony Edwards is the best player in the series. Can you yeah. stop him? And Herb Jones, Anthony Edwards for, for seven games. I, I'll sign up for that. I'll for sign sure. up for that. Yeah, for sure. That would be, that'll be awesome to see. That'd be awesome to Gee, see. Thank you so much, bro. We went longer than I expected, but it was such a great conversation. I love having great conversations. So we definitely gonna have to do this again. And it's my pleasure to have you on, man. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Like you said, great conversation. I love talking hoops with people who know what they're talking about. So I could definitely gotta have you on my show pretty soon as well. So I'll be sending that invite very, very soon. But thank you again for having me, man. It was a great time. If folks know how they can keep up with your show, when it comes out and uh and all the things that you are doing. Thank you. So yes, you can find me on social media at the real deal WDA. That's the real deal W as in whiskey, D as in Delta, A as in Alpha on all social media platforms. Uh, my show is called The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Uh, it's dropping at least once a week. I'm thinking about doing more episodes per week. So that's great. coming soon where I might be doing two or three episodes a week, but just look out for the real deal with Damian Adams. Go ahead and subscribe now. So when it does drop. You already have it. Go ahead, set up the notifications. Once it drops on my show, I cover the NFL, NBA, and boxing. So if you're a fan of those sports, I'll definitely be hitting you with all that content. Of course, the NFL is coming to an end soon. So it's going to be a lot of NBA and boxing content on my podcast, The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Go ahead and check it out. All right, brother. I appreciate you again, as I said. And y'all know, click the like button, subscribe follow you know all the things and check out the bird rights as well birdrights.com i am david grubb he is damian adams and this has been the bird call we'll see y'all again soon